0: Welcome to a space where your voice, your experience, and your truth matter. You should come prepared for authentic, deep dives
1: into topics that embody all walks of life
0: with the goal of creating positive change.
2: No matter who you are or where you're from, we're glad you're here to share in the conversation and can't wait to hear your story. I am Coach Fred.
1: I'm Uncty C.
0: I am Aaron Kinzer.
1: I am Javon. And this is Safe Spaces and Faces.
0: (laughs) Hey, what's up? What's good, y'all? This is Unc DC. This is Safe Spaces and Faces. We are back. We are ready. How are y'all doing tonight, y'all? Feeling
2: good. Good.
0: Feeling good. We back. Finally. Right? Yeah,
3: I'm glad, glad. I'm glad to be back with it.
0: Yeah, I'm really glad that you guys came back after we recorded our first episode. Y'all didn't run away. I didn't get blocked or anything. So <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm glad we're here.
1: So what's everybody been, you know, saying about the first episode? Have people liked it? Have you guys heard any
0: reviews, etc.? Everyone said, man, that Javon, his voice is smooth. She said they said that shit like you know that. You know, Mm -hmm. um, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. they said they said go ahead and throw him on in the microwave, melt him down a little bit, and pour him on me, please. I
1: can't even do it. You know, I'm chocolate. Yeah, I melt, honey. Mm -hmm.
2: (laughs) Well, all I know is that I had a few people that said that Aaron was taking him to church with some of the things they had to bring in a towel because God dang man, he was he, he, he was he was bringing it. So I got the preacher towel ready for whenever whenever he spit his truth. Okay, so hey.
3: Hey Amen. Deep dive and real talk, man. Save spaces and faces. That's what we're on. That's what we're all about.
2: You know oh, that's mean? right.
3: So I can bring another right. lesson what I brought. Right? Speak it.
0: All right, y'all. So y'all know we are uh we're going ahead first tonight. I will go ahead and put out this disclaimer wherever you are, um, whatever you're going through, whatever you've grown through especially in this series, we might discuss some topics that are triggering. We might have conversations that are uncomfortable. But if you or someone you know are struggling, if you know someone that may be a victim of traumatic child stress, traumatic experiences, someone that's maybe just struggling with their mental health, but please know that there is a suicide and crisis lifeline. You can call or text 988, again, that's 988, or you can chat at 988lifeline.org. Please, uh, at any time, again, you can call or text that number. According to the Substance Abuse and Mental Health Services Administration, two out of every three children report at least one traumatic event by 16 years old, and one in seven have experienced abuse or neglect in the last year. These numbers are are ever climbing. And it's really scary when we're still in 2023 and we're still living in a time when it's still taboo to talk about mental health and it's still taboo to talk about healing in many instances. And, you know, trauma comes from all sorts of things, not just within the home. There's community trauma. um, If you grow up in an under resourced or oppressed neighborhood, systemic trauma, you know, racism, poverty formed from limited opportunity. You've got sexual abuse, you've got natural disasters, you've got so many things that a child experiences that contributes to this overall outlook and perspective on life. It's really important to know that when you grow up in a household with substance abuse problems, mental health problems, instability due to parental separation, imprisonment. It can undermine a child's sense of safety, stability, and the ability to properly bond. And these effects, they don't just stop whenever your childhood or adolescent age is over. They turn into PTSD, anxiety, depression, anger. It turns into problems with trust and forming stable and healthy relationships. It turns into self-destructive and risky behaviors. You've got emotional dysregulation. You've got executive dysfunction. You've got eating disorders. You've got people out here that are struggling so bad that they have unstable employment opportunities. They're struggling financially. They've got self-destructive behaviors. And I know, especially living in the South, that there's a disproportionate access here especially in some of these rural communities, we don't we don't talk about it. We're taught to suppress it. So how do you deal with it? How do you deal with the bullshit that you see as a child and you carry it into adulthood and you are like me, you have executive dysfunction and, and BPD and PTSD and you have problems regulating your emotions and where do you go? Who do you talk to about it? So I think it's important that we create that space for that.
3: Definitely important. That space is a critical need in our society right now. Our children can't fall victim to the same things as we fell victim to, and as children of the previous generations fell victim to. It's imperative that we look back and learn from the past and learn about the mistakes and um coping mechanisms and the and and, and the myth teachings and the misunderstandings about coping and healing. And that we pass that knowledge. And those tools on to our to, to to our youth of this generation so that so the next generation and so forth and so on can be
0: better. It's the only way we can break the cycle. I mean, honestly, I can look in my family's history, and there is, I mean, you know, you talk about a generational curse or a generational sin. I mean, you can see the generational trauma. It might represent it present itself in different forms, but it's there. But at some point, the cycle has to be broken. And that's why I decided I was like, you know what? I'm not letting it pass through me and pass. No, this shit stops now. And that's why I was like, well, the only way that's going to happen is if, is if we, if we make a space and we tell our stories,
2: you said something important and I want to help our audience um, key in on it. You said that somebody has and within a family, I'm just talking to people that are listening to this, that are probably relating to what uh, you're saying. Somebody there if you are that person listening to this right now, and you're saying, man, I gotta be that person. You have identified a problem and you're willing to take action. And that is the most important part. And I think when you start telling your story, the problem with the person that identifies the problem and says, I'm gonna take action to change this is going to be confronted within the family, right? And even close uh, friends, a lot of pushback of things they can't do or say so i want you to elaborate on that not only the childhood trauma that you had gone through but all of the pushback and the the struggles of being of being able to get to this point where you can actually tell your story freely without feeling like you are there's something wrong with you or you're going to be condemned i want you to be able to convey that to the audience I think
0: the the best way to really do that is to start with my story. It was an interesting dynamic. My mom, she said she was in love with my dad. I mean, I kind of believe her, but I think she was infatuated. He was, you know, older quite a bit older, 15 years maybe. He was older than her. She was young. He was he was a very angry man. He harbored a lot of anger. He had church hurt. Some overall anger at life, going blind with glau- glaucoma. Just a very uh, resentful, angry person. But he and my mom got together. She got pregnant. And it was essentially a, a you're pregnant, get married, she did. And she eventually was she was trapped. My mom was trapped. There's there's no doubt about that. He definitely had a hold on her. She did everything that she could to please him, especially in the early years of their marriage. And the unfortunate thing is that she was so focused on making sure that he was happy, that the pizza was kept, that his fists were not on me, but on her. That in his drunkenness, he wasn't harming me, but her. She did her best to hide herself when he would essentially force her to have sex with him whenever she did not want to, whenever he would beat her, whenever he would leave the house and go on escapades with God knows who and God knows what crotch goblins are running around that share my bloodline. It was a very miserable place to be. My life outside of my home growing up was like an alternate reality. There was a point in time in my life when I told my mom, and this was, keep in mind, they separated when I was in the fourth grade. So this was all prior to the fourth grade. I told my mom that it doesn't matter how good my days are, when I have to walk through the big red door, that my whole day it's completely changed. Everything outside of home was an escape and nothing was taken literally. And the problem that I had when it came to my family was that my dad's family, I knew from my most formative memories that I was never going to fit in. I've always known I was gay. I've always known their stance on that. I've always been abhorrently against... The racism, the prejudice that was in the family, the, the, the two-facedness that was in the family. And I knew in order to be myself one day that I would have to be separated from them. So I was never comfortable there. And they did a lot to pretend like my dad was not the monster that he was. So there was no protection there for me. The only place I found protection was with my mom's parents. My grandpa was my rock. My granny, I loved I love her, but she also was an alcoholic. And having a father who was an alcoholic that scared me. So as as much as I loved her, there was still that looming question of when is she going to is she going to flip? Is she going to turn? There was still that uncertainty there that didn't quite always make me feel safe. So my grandpa was my safe place. Mom did her best. She really did her best until she started working with the city. And she was tired of making up excuses for the bruises on her body. She was tired of getting the wrong attention, and she wanted attention from other men. So she's, you know, that she had an affair the man introduced her to drugs that was probably, I may be wrong, I would say around 98. And the problem with this is as much as my mom was my refuge inside the house, once this happened, it began to pull her way. And then she was balancing the, the man in her life, pleasing my dad, getting her fix, and it left little time for me. And the problem was that she was always so open. I knew what she was doing. I knew the affair she was having. And I was a child. I was in the third and fourth grade, and I knew business I shouldn't have known. But that didn't help. That actually added to the trauma experience. Christmas morning, 2000. Dad was heaving presents in the fireplace. Mom was gone. Dad was drunk and angry. I had just woken up, so it was already hell. That's the day my parents separated kind of ruined Christmas for me from that point forward. I thought that divorce was going to be a good thing. I was like, well, now it's good. I'll be out of the house. I don't have to worry about dad. Mom and I are going to be better. But after the divorce, I was living with my mom's parents and what this allowed was, this allowed for her to pursue her habit. And she became even more removed. So at this point, I'm in the fourth grade. I have no paternal bond. The bond that I had with my mother is separating. I'm living with my grandparents, and I'm confused. I'm thinking it's my fault. I'm thinking the only reason my parents were together is because of me. I am a neurodivergent child. I was already fighting my self-identity, and I was a fourth grader spiraling into a depression and didn't know who to talk to about it. The next couple of years were interesting. My mom then got into a relationship with an older man, spent her time so far up his ass. I mean, yeah, I could go and stay with her there, but I was never welcomed. I was only there because she was there, and I didn't want to be there for that reason. She would give his grandkids and his kids more attention, and I was they were getting attention that I didn't get from my mother. I went through this time just thinking that I was the least important thing in anyone's life. I went into high school, middle school, well, this is what interests. I went from elementary school to middle school to elementary school to high school to middle school because of the school systems that I had to change through. This also was a problem because all of my elementary school friends I lost whenever I went from one county to another. So I didn't have any real formative friendships. I didn't have any close bonds. Growing up, I didn't have any real friends. The only friends I associated with were the kids of my mom's friends that I would go to. And as she progressed through her addiction, a lot of those people who really seedy, and so were their children, really weren't spaces I should be in. The bullying started, I think it was sixth grade, people started noticing that I was gay, I was in the closet. So that just added another factor. It was the bullying, it was me being overweight because I was an emotional eater. And every day, I just lived hoping that I don't know, I'd get hit by a truck, fall off a cliff, run over by a train, struck by lightning, something. It was never, I want to kill myself, but someone please kill me. I was afraid because here I am still grappling with sexuality. I was living with Granny and Grandpa. Mom, at this point, was doing some time with the county. She was absent a lot. Spent some time in the streets really strung out. And I'm you know, and i not placing blame on her because this was her response to what my dad put her through. That's not validating what she chose. That's not saying that what she did was okay. But I see now, as an adult, that this was her dealing with her own trauma. She was a hot mess. And living with Granny and Grandpa was difficult because their family was a bit of a mess. My cousins came to live with us. My two cousins, Sarah Lindsay their family fell apart. We shared a bedroom. There was just all of us from broken homes in one house. Granny was miserable. Grandpa was miserable and stressed. Grandpa got so stressed that he eventually had a heart attack and an aneurysm and it killed him. And I think it was the stress of his family falling apart that killed him. Mom got out of jail 11 days, I think it was, before he died that year. I was just before it. I was about to start the eighth grade. And when he died, my world fell apart because he was the only fucking thing holding me together. He was the only sober, positive influence in my life. And after that, my weight increased. The depression was wild. Um, The bullying just... Tenfold, because then I went back to a new school system. After Grandpa died, the, the household was so toxic. I was removed and placed back with my dad, which was terrifying. I was forced to then make sure I was in the closet. I had to put on a front to stay on his good side because even though I stopped drinking, I didn't know what he was capable of. I clung to the church at that point for safety. Mom grappled with her addiction still. She ended up doing quite a bit of uh, time. She did some state time. She missed most, if not all, of high school. Very absent. Dad was, he made sure my basic needs were met, but he was just a very miserable man. So it was very difficult. I had to do what I had to do to fit in with his family, to get where I could. That meant hiding behind the church, eventually exposed me. Granny, after grandpa died, had a couple of relationships, was back and forth to Missouri. She wasn't there. So it's like all of my childhood was filled with relationships that should have been strong, that should have taught me trust, that should have taught me having faith in someone, that should have nurtured me with love, that should have really been there to set the foundation of my expectations for relationships with people, they were all fucked from the beginning. So I had no model for that. I blamed them a lot for a long time. But what it did was, it created an adult who doesn't know how to form proper bonds with people, who doesn't know how to trust, who is still trying to dig his way through the bullshit and really understand what it means to have bonds with people that are healthy. Healthy love is something that I know very little about. Healthy relationships are something that I know very little about. I have some very close friends now that I'm in that I'm very thankful to have that have showed me that. But that absence of those foundational relationships coupled with the addiction, the abuse, the violence that I saw on top of always feeling alone and not having the opportunity to really be seen or heard, that made growing up really fucking hard. And now I do my best to maintain executive function and control my eating disorders and Regulate my emotions, even though that's fucked. You can ask my most recent relationship about that one. One of the reasons we really couldn't work out is because all of my responses were related or rooted in trauma. Of course, some of them are relationship traumas, which we'll get to in a couple of episodes, but nonetheless, they were trauma rooted. So, as much as I've grown, I've still got a lot of fucking growing to do. And I hope that there's someone that has been through some shit. That's still growing, so we can grow together. I don't have all of the answers as far as what it's going to look like to walk through this completely, but I know that it's not linear, and I know that it's a daily choice, and that it comes from forgiveness and, and understanding that people's actions and reactions are coping mechanisms and not always meant to be taken personally. That's not justifying an abuser whatsoever. But I think sometimes we have to have that perspective that someone's actions or their responses to their own traumas that doesn't validate it. But when we put that into perspective, it can help us navigate it within ourselves internally. Um, I was having a conversation with my friend, my roommate Brooke, and she said something to me that was so profound. She said, It's wild to look at how childhood really defined who I knew I didn't want to be, but left who I do want to be uncertain. And I have not related to something so deeply in my life because I've spent so much of my time up to this point in my life, making sure that I didn't become a product of my environment, that I really didn't focus on who I was actually going to become. And that's why I was like, you know what? Let me embark on this journey so I can find myself and help other people find who they are. And that's where I'm at.
2: One of the things that you said to me that was extremely touching, I even got a little teary-eyed, was because it happened to me. My uncle, his, his name is Uncle Mike. I didn't have good male role models in my life. My dad was an alcoholic. He was a womanizer. He was an abuser. He was married to my mom for like 16 years and they divorced when I was in high school. He was a very angry man. And again, alcohol was at the forefront of his stuff. And even though I carry his name, I never felt a connection to him. My grandfather on my mom's side, my mom's dad, he passed away recently, God rest his soul, in April but I never felt a connection to him either. He grew up during the great depression. He was uh, one of those guys back then that was a part of a big family because big families were predominant during that time. And he was, you know, this self-starter motivator had to figure things out on his own because his dad was an alcoholic. So he had to figure out as a child of like, 12 kids of how to help the family run because dad couldn't he wasn't there his father wasn't there okay stick with right. me here so i have my dad that i did not identify with my grandfather who was very who was a man that was if you did it his way you were his friend if you tried to do anything outside of what he wanted you were always in the wrong and i could connect with what you were saying was you just never felt comfortable in your own skin it got to a point where I'm like, I'm not just that dude to just walk lockstep to do, I'm very creative, emotional. And my uncle was that way. And so my uncle, we used to call him, <laughs> we used to call him Coco Mike. We didn't know how to say uncle when we were little. So we used to call him Coco Mike. And uh my uncle, he he uh he became an alcoholic himself because he was never accepted. By my grandfather. Mm. My grandfather wanted him to be a certain way. And my uncle, me and my uncle are very much alike. We're very creative. Figure it out. We don't need it to be a straight line. We just need to figure it out on our own. And because my uncle was not what my grandfather wanted, he basically, he was a cast off. And so my uncle became an alcoholic. He was a functioning alcoholic. But I have a story for you. When my mom divorced my dad, my dad was never around for my birthdays. Um, he never sent me a birthday card, he never called me, he knew where I was, he knew my phone number, he knew everything. Neither did my grandfather. Both of these men in my life knew everything about me, but they never contacted me on my birthday. You know who did? My uncle. Uncle Mike. My uncle. <laughs> Even when he was drunk, he would call me and be like, hey, Freddie, happy birthday. And it touched my soul. (sighs) Yeah, because he gave a shit, right? He gave a shit. Mm -hmm. This is my uncle. He doesn't have to give a shit. He could do his own thing and shrink himself into oblivion. But out of all the men, not my dad, not my grandfather. It was my uncle. And so when you said your grandpa died, that touched me because I never cried for another man. Like I cried for my uncle. I never, yeah. never. I, I When my uncle passed away, my world shattered. Even though we know people are going to die. That, that to me was like, man, why him, man? And so.
0: Right. Like he's the one, like you're supposed to be here. Yes, like,
2: (laughs) I hate to say this, get rid of the other two idiots, like, seriously. (laughs) Um, But, you know, I could never tell my grandfather this, and God rest his soul. When he passed away, I did not cry for my grandfather. It didn't mean I didn't love him. I grew up to accept, like you said, I grew up to accept that he was a product of his generation, and I had to accept who he was, but I had to deal with the trauma from that. And again, with my dad, I hated my dad, but it got to a point where I had to accept that is who he was. He grew up in an environment that was toxic itself. And so I had to recognize that I couldn't be like my dad. Right. Like I had to be in my kid's life. I had to be, you know, a father. I had to be there for them. Long story short, when he, when my grandfather passed away, it was, it was just like, oh, I'm sad that it happened, but I'm not sad that I I don't have any memories. Right. There's nothing, or at least that not good I, ones. No. Right. When I say memories, I'm talking about stuff that you that you, that makes you cry. Okay. Not stuff right. that you're hurt from. Stuff right. that you're like, damn. And so there was nothing there for me, but I had to respect my mom because she was sad because it was her dad. So this mm. is a very intertwined fucked up roller coaster of emotions that i have to be like ah, oh, well yeah. yeah i'm sad and god rest his soul but man you know i have to be there for my mom so long story short my uncle my uncle is number one in all the men in my life he is and my grandfather could never understand that if i had him face to face right now and i we were on this thing right now and i said hey who are all the top men in your life and i said my uncle my grandfather would be like how he, he's drunk. He's a constant drunk and he doesn't have his life together. And, and, you know, he lives on his own and he's not making a lot of money. I'm successful and I've retired and I got a bunch of money in the bank and people like me. And I'd be like, yeah, but you know what? It's experience, bro. Your money doesn't mean shit. I needed his time. I needed right. his time and his TLC. I didn't need to. And he's helping me with money. He's helped me with plenty of money, plenty of money. Fuck the money. Give me your time. Tell me you love me take me out to the park and and tell me you genuinely are having a good time without needing something for yourself, right? Like we're doing this and you're creating a memory for me without it being about you and some narcissistic, you know, altered universe. So my my uncle was number one. My brother's number two. Um, And that's a whole bag of fuckery as I became a father because then I had no foundation of what to be. So that's my sort of trauma of not understanding how to be a man, love as a man, trust another man. That took many years of recognizing a certain pattern that not all people were out to fuck me over. (laughs) And even to this, I'm 45, I haven't perfected it and I never will. But I've noticed patterns within myself, and I've accepted them, and I'm more of, at this age, accepting that certain people are just who they are based on their trauma, and they did the best they could, as hard as that is, to raise me. And now I have to heal from my own trauma. And and like you said, you know, like, oh, you chopped it up to,
0: oh, this was his, he was raised in this generation, this is what it was. And as much as it is that, as much as it is we have to, like, we don't have a choice. We either... Perpetuate the trauma. The only other option is to stop the cycle and change it. Those are the only two options. You perpetuate it, or you stop it and change it. And it doesn't matter who did it or why they did it. And I'm not trying to be insensitive when I say that. But we come we we come to a crossroad where it's like, okay, now I have to accept it and find ways to work through it so that I can function, so that I can have peace, and so that I can grow. So it's really just owning it, not placing the blame and just learning how to grow through it. And I mean, and honestly, just watching your content and getting to know you, Fred, I mean, you are definitely a great example of a father. So fuck what anyone
2: else said. I appreciate it, man. I, I you know, people will say, hey, you're a good dad. And I'm like, it, it doesn't it doesn't register. Not, not that I'm like. Looking for praise when you go through it for so long um, as a child, like you said, you're you're growing up of what not to be. Right. So in my head, that's what I'm every day. Like, can't be like my dad. I got to be in my kid's life. I can't get right. too angry. I got to be in my kid's life and be and and apologize. Right. I can't just yell at them. I have to come back and say, Hey, I love you. I'm sorry. I did not mean to yell at you. And there is no, but you did this. Like I had to learn how to say, I'm sorry. And that started with my kids. I had to understand that when you apologize, you can't apologize and then say, oh, I'm sorry. I yelled at you, but you did this. That's not an apology. You have to say, yo, I'm sorry. I did X, Y, Z. And I will be better. and try not to do that again. I say all that because, you know, it's all a learning experience and that's what we're here for. So.
0: Mm -hmm. Well. I definitely think that you are taking that experience and really showing out for your kids and your family. I hope that you continue to shape that message for others who are so lost after not having that role model.
2: Every day. Every day.
0: Mr. Kinzer, you're sitting kind of quiet over there, sir. What's going through your head?
3: Man, I'm just, I'm just uh, connecting with y'all guys, man. I'm really, um, really privileged, and I'm um, grateful that you all are, um, that, that we're having this conversation. It's genuine talk. I'm quiet because I'm just listening. I'm just absorbing and connecting. You know what I mean? And I'm, I'm grateful that you all shared that. You know, and and you all were bold enough and brave enough to talk about that and put that out there for the world to listen to. People need that. Our, our, our young men need to hear, older men be vulnerable and expose. The, uh, the the true selves and open up and be transparent about what hurt them and what traumatized them at a young age and, and it's our responsibility as older men to put this out there but not only talk about it but to talk about the the healing aspect of it and what do we do now how do we how do we bounce back from this and how do we teach the teaching is important there's a lot of discipline going on in the world a lot of punishment going on but there's not a lot of teaching and it's needed as, as far as I go and in, in, in my childhood and things that I experienced. America underwent a, a vicious epidemic with, with crack cocaine in the 80s. And, and you know, and, and we know the government's role in that. It's open. The government has uh, the CIA has had town halls in Long Beach and, 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 and in Southern California and, and openly admitted that, yes, we imported cocaine into the United States, but it wasn't sanctioned by the government. It was a rogue agent, so forth and so on. But our government has admitted to the public that yes, we brought this cocaine here and we placed it in impoverished black neighborhoods. This Absolutely, is, this, this much is true and on the record. You know what I mean? So, so the question is, how does that relate to other cities and other impoverished neighborhoods that um, the infamous Rick Ross wasn't in? There was a Rick Ross in every hood and every in every major city and every and every project. There was some Rick Ross figure who had some amazing drug connection out of this world. And no one understood how he how this person was getting these large shipments of drugs in. So me being raised in Charleston, West Virginia, you know, little old West Virginia, everyone writes it off as backwood country bunking West Virginia. But I lived there. I was raised there. That's my home state. That's my home city. I'm a product of the coal mine. My grandfather and then were coal miners. My mother was a daughter of a coal miner who moved to the city, the capital city of West Virginia, Charleston, to start her new life. As a young woman in her early 30s, in the in the late 80s, the crack wave hit little old backwoods Charleston, West Virginia. And when that happened, her as a young mother with two young boys were caught up in the wave. Everyone was experimenting with with, with free basing throughout that era. You know, what I mean, this is well known and well documented in our country. But we saw the aftermath of the crack wave. We saw the movies on New Jack City, glorify the life. You know, what I mean, movies like. Um, uh, the movie with um uh uh, uh yeah, the movie with Sam Jackson and um and Halle Berry in it and they were crack addicts you know what i mean like 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 there's several movies relating to that era <laughs> that era was my life as a child i saw that take place in my home my mother became addicted to crack cocaine as a young 30 30 30 33 34 35 year old woman she was addicted to crack cocaine in Charleston west virginia and what I saw at seven years old and eight years old is a mother who was have a great job at a factory in West Virginia. I mean, at a, a, a chemical plant, Union Carbide, in West Virginia, who became addicted to crack cocaine and lost everything she had. She lost it all. She was, she she had a good paying job. She was raising her two boys, single mother, dealing with an absent, absent father who was in and out, barely there, coming through to take her brother on bike rides. But he wasn't there. He wasn't a support network for her, support network for my brother and I. So she lost it all out there on the streets, late night, trying to get a hit, trying to get high. Buying, 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 buying the first Nintendo and the first Sega Genesis and buying these things if you had the money from a good paycheck. But she buy it and the next week she go sell up a crack. Mm. She buys boom boxes mm. and cereals, my brother and I, and the next week she go sell up a crack. She blood the Christmas tree. I mean, she, 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 with gifts and presents by herself. And the next week, the next month, go sell it for crack and buy it again and sell it again. You know, this is what I experienced. I witnessed her going out the house with black trash bags. And I knew that those corners that were poking out of the bag, those indentions and impressions was my stereo. That was my Nintendo. That was my my Mario Brothers and Duck Hunt that was gone now. For some reason, I don't have Mario Brothers anymore. But as an adult, mm-hmm. I learned that what took place. It was it was a drug addiction, a monster that took my mother away from me. And in, 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 in 1990, she left to move to Virginia to go detox. Her uncle, my great uncle, my grandmother's brother, the, the family patriarch at the time, told her, his niece, leave those boys with those, with their father and go get yourself clean. But prior to that, it was it was the experience of seeing her battle that, seeing her knowing she was gone all night. My brother and I sleep on the living room floor eating bologna sandwiches and him him raising me as a big brother male figure at at age 13 with his little brother in the house, he knows what's going on. He knows she out out there trying to get high. I didn't know. I was young. But I I remember one night in particular, me and him slept on the floor right in front of the front door in the living room. You know, I'm thinking it's just me and him ticking. I'm not sure what's going on, but he knows what's going on. He knows that she's out there in the city searching to get high. And when she came in the house that night, late night, one, two, in the morning, I'm not sure what time it was, but I distinctly remember that she came in and went right to the downstairs bathroom, closed the door, cut the light on. And I remember my brother going to the bathroom door, opened the door and trying to get in, and she slamming the door closed. And they fought and tussled to get the door open. And he got the door open. And I remember them, him, and her, my 13-year-old brother and my mother in the bathroom, tussling, almost fighting, almost. I mean, not, not throwing blows, but wrestling over something. I came to learn that, She was in the bathroom getting high and my brother was trying to stop her. And I witnessed this. I saw this fight going on between them, not really knowing what was taking place. But I saw the anger. I saw the frustration. I saw the hurt in my brother. I saw the hurt in my mother as a drug addict, not frustrated that her son is trying to stop her from getting high.
0: Right. You need to speak on that now because I've seen that hurt in my mama's eyes many times. Mm.
3: I witnessed this. I saw this and I didn't know how how that era affected me her being an addict me being her youngest son me witnessing her go through that but not knowing quite what i was witnessing you know what i mean this is 1990 1989 and lo and behold 14 years later i became the, the crack dealer where i was for like a better word a victim of the crack era Fourteen years later, in my early twenties, I became the victimizer. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And 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 and, and, and I, I never understood that dynamic. It took me to go to federal prison for just for being a crack dealer, for running a narcotic trafficking operation from Charlotte and Atlanta back to Bristol, Tennessee, where, where I was doing my distribution at that region, Appalachia region, the same region that she was getting high in in West Virginia. If you go down two hours south, I'm in the same region selling crack as well. Doing the same thing that, that was being done to her. It took me to go to federal prison for, uh, for 13 years. I was sent to 15 years, eight months. I paid 21 to 27 years. The judge did me a favor, gave me 15 years, eight months. I served a total of 13 years. During that time in prison, I was able to read and study and look at the history of our country, look at the drug history, the drug policy of our country, and try to get an understanding and, 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 and try to come to terms with what happened so that I wouldn't blame my mother. I had to stop blaming her and, 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 and trying to find fault with her and, and taking shots at her through conversations and stuff like that. I had I had to stop that because it was that anger in me. It was that little boy in me still mad about the Nintendo, still <laughs> mad about the second Genesis and the boombox. But I had to find a way to come to terms with what happened and not, not necessarily shift blame, but get him understanding that. Mom, it wasn't it, it wasn't you, mom. It wasn't you. You know what I mean? And, and it, it's right. not, not your fault. You didn't know. Nobody knew what was going on at the highest levels of our government in those secret hallways when and, and, and the Iran contrast situation. Nobody knew what was going on when it was happening. Only years later. But after that, but until then, it's a it's a wake of destruction and, 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 Absolutely. and mandatory sentencing in And drug rehabs, and you got drug counselors who don't know how to counsel people using this drug, because they don't know what the drug is. It's a new drug on the market that popped up out of nowhere. So so, so it's a wave of destruction that took place amongst communities, white and black, rural and urban. You know what I mean? And 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 I had to heal from that. Throughout my time in prison, I was able to heal, walking that track, thinking endlessly, having conversations with other guys from New Jersey, from Detroit, from Cleveland, from. From Little Rock, from from Birmingham, from Miami, from Dallas, around the country, and their story is the same story, and that's what allowed me and helped me to heal, and helped me to and helped me to grow past this, and realize that it's not just me and my family. It wasn't just me and my brother that dealt with this, man. And our story isn't unique. It's unique to us, but in general, it was so common, And, Mm -hmm. and 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 that allowed me to um to grow and get past this, man. And there's so many young families and young men. Just like me, just like me, whose mother was on crack, whose father was on crack, who, who, whose father pipped their mother out so they both can get money to smoke crack in front of the children. People who sold their children for crack, for cocaine, to get high. You know what I mean? And when I met those guys, it, it, it gave me a level of comfort to realize, like, man, there's somebody else who experienced this just like I experienced it. Worse. Worse than. And I would call my brother and tell my brother, say, bro, man. You got no clue the stories I'm hearing, man. I'm meeting guys who, who their mother also did the same thing, but she did this and she did this and she did that. So at least our story is what it is, but it's not that story. Like, all, like, like fortunately, cause, <laughs> it's hard to say we were fortunate in that situation, but when compared to, I was fortunate to have a family structure, to, 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 to a leader in the family, my uncle to help my mother in, uh, you know, and my, and my father, who was an absentee father for all those years, in and out of our life. When my mother moved to Virginia for detox, it was my father who stepped in and became a full-time dad out of the blue. You know what I mean? I watched my mother drive out to get driven out of the parking lot in the van to detox. I don't know where she went at the time. I don't know if she left. You know what I mean? And 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 that right there, at that age, at eight, nine years old, you know, your mother, your matriarch, your nurturer, gone.
0: Absolutely, and you know. I can relate because my mom's eventual drug of choice was, was crap. And I've watched how much of a beast that was, man. And I know that, I know that wasn't easy for you. And then to go through it and become the victimizer. It's really good that I'm not saying it's really good that, that you were locked up, but it's really good that you had that moment of awareness. And I'm glad that you did, man, because it has allowed you to turn into such a vessel for such a powerful message.
3: Man, I was able to be, I was in the church in the 90s. Those years in the 90s, from 1993 to 1999, those years I spent entrenched in the in the church, in every facet of the church, and the teaching that, that I received based upon the principles of the Bible. It doesn't matter if you believe it's real or metaphor or allegory, it doesn't matter, but the teachings and the lessons that were came from those stories and that's scripture. And those the, and those conferences that I saw my mother go to, the healing conferences, the Woman Thou Art Loosed conferences, and, right. and, and, and I saw her cry out in, in, in tears to a higher power and, and, and seek her healing. I was able to witness this on a large scale. Men and women crying out, seeking healing from their trauma, their past trauma. I've heard stories of rape and incest and I've I've, I've heard it. Molestation. I've heard these stories told openly, unashamed by grown people. They tell it to adults and children alike and and there's no cut. So I was able to hear these people heal in the moment. I watched them heal over time and I was able to draw from that once I got to prison. And once I was able to sit down, once I was made to sit down by the government who created the monster to begin with, 31 when I was a child, that same government, (laughs) mandatory sentencing policy, created when I was a child. Was used against me when I was an adult, but during that time, I was able to have these moments of clarity and study and research to to try to find something to help me understand what happened in my childhood and how I can change that now. And it and it, and it's my duty. Like I say in one of my pieces, the New Black America, I got a God-given obligation to give the next generation the best of me to the death of me. When it's all said and done, you can have the rest of me or whatever's left of me. Just don't question me. I got some big shoes to fill. You cannot make my quest for me, and I believe that was my purpose to give this back to the people. To get
2: <laughs> preach, to right? right. Preach, child, preach. I mean, uh, he's saying it all. He's saying a sermon right here. So yeah, man, that's a, that's me, man. I, that's what I've gone through as a child. There's
0: more, there's
3: other stories, but that is the, the core of my story of what shaped me. Because we're all shaped in our childhood. Oh,
0: I um, and I can't express enough how thankful I am that. You agreed to be a part of of this platform with that message, man. I I really can't thank you enough for bringing your perspective and experience.
3: Hey Amen. It's me, man. I'm an open book. I believe in transparency, and I rubbed a lot of folks the wrong way being this way. You know what I mean? But I've that's okay.
0: Hey, we're gonna step on toes. We're gonna rub people the wrong way. We're gonna piss people off. I don't give a fuck. <laughs> right, right, right. No doubt. No
3: doubt about it. it. No doubt about it. I mean, I mean, it, it, it's needed. And if someone doesn't want what's needed, then, then step away from the conversation. Tune into the podcast, but you know,
0: but step away saying, from I'm, the conversation.
3: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Step away. Right. You know what I mean? But 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 think about what we're saying. Think about what we're going through. You know, think about what we went through, and then. Apply that to your life. What did you go through? Can you relate to trauma? Maybe not my story exactly or Fred's story exactly or your story or Javon's exactly. But what did you go through? Our audience, we want you all to have a deep dive into yourself. Look in the mirror and ask yourself, what shaped me as a child? What did I experience? And how does that play a role in me now as an adult?
0: Most definitely. And speaking of Javon,
3: got to have those tough questions.
0: What you doing back there, Javon? I see you over there looking, with oh, y'all looking oh, ass.
1: Oh, me, look. I'm just, like, I'm just listening to you guys' stories and hearing the amount of pain that everyone has gone through It's crazy to think that, you know, there are people who sometimes don't even realize the pain that they cause others because of their own actions. A lot of times Mm. they don't want to take accountability for it, especially people who were like born in in a generation that they felt like, oh, well, you know what, how you feel right now is not important. You need to pick up your bootstraps and just keep going. And they never really address how, what somebody did to them affects them. Cause a lot of times I feel like parents, especially, and especially like older parents who uh, I, cause I have, I have older parents. My parents are, you know, like in their sixties. So they grew up in the generation where your emotions weren't really talked about. It was more like, okay, you can cry all day, but that ain't gonna fix nothing. You gotta get up and get out and just go do whatever. Instead of addressing the issue or addressing the action that caused them to feel the hurt they did, they just ignored it. But they bring it into like their children's lives and don't even realize that every action that they take is a reaction to how their parents treated them. And it's like I, you know, I hearing all of this is one, it's 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 insightful to hear people's stories and see where they came from and see how it Has shaped them. But the other half of it is trying to understand if they even know why, you know, what happened happened. I have something that like, I always like think about as a kid, I always saw my parents as like, almost like these, Godlike figures. You know what I mean? They before me, they were nobody. Either, but I didn't realize until I became an adult that my parents are human and the things that they have experienced in their lives before me shaped a lot of what happened while I was a kid. Now, my parents were, you know, they were they were great. I, I can't say my parents were great parents. They they made sure that we had you know, everything that we needed, not everything we want, but everything that we needed. Were they perfect? No, by no means were they perfect because I myself in my adult life, especially and especially in my childhood, too, because of the generation that they grew in, grew up in, it was difficult for them to understand the kind of emotional aspects of like a kid. You know what I mean? You're feeling all these big emotions, especially
0: our generation Javon. Yeah, we were like, from
1: the beginning. Yeah, we were. And, and see, especially, you know, we, my parents have three kids. So it's like us three were completely different in every single way. And we all needed different things, but we all felt these huge emotions. And as a kid, we didn't know what to do with it. Cause a lot of times it felt like, you know, my parents didn't know how to handle it. they didn't know how to handle, you know, us like crying about the smallest little thing. Sometimes it sometimes I just, you know, they they told me they loved me, they told me all this, but sometimes I needed more than just to sometimes I needed them to just be there. And you know, growing up, I, I dealt with a lot of weight issues, which caused me to be bullied in school so going to school was hell because i myself didn't want to yes and you know what i'm still chubby like even to this day and i think that's a result of some stuff too but like school was i think school is where the bulk of my like trauma came from Because because people
0: are fucking awful that's why people are
1: awful and kids are awful especially going through middle and high school with people who do not like you for being who you are. Hey, but
0: it's good to see them all nice and fat and miserable now. Yeah.
1: Well no, a lot of well, a lot of them are fat and miserable. (laughs) And they are miserable with their lives and they got multiple kids and some of them ain't got no hair. But you know what? We're gonna keep it going.
2: But (laughs) it's No, wait, wait. Of... We're going to stop it there for a second, Javon. I'm going to give it back to you. Yes, it is nice to see on Facebook that some of y'all done got fat, ugly, and got losing hair. Yes, that does. It is. Do it I ain't I'm gonna lie. It is. It is very nice.
1: Okay? that is right. good. Yes. Some of them
2: Gray, have, right.
0: some of them have on. been
1: in jail multiple times. Like, it is very, nice. <laughs> Man,
0: very I, Listen, I love it when I see their mugshot pop up. <laughs> 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 however,
1: there is... However, a lot of times I felt like, especially... Going through because a lot of the bad shit started happening when I was when I was a teenager, when I was a teenager, that's when a lot of the issues with me started to happen. And what I mean by that is I've always had a slick mouth. But in my teenage years... No, not you. Oh, no. (laughs) (laughs) You know what? you. I'm not even going to comment on that. But I've always had a slick mouth. Like, that has been a thing. I've always been very demanding in what I need and what I want, especially with people who know me, know me. But during my teenage years, I was a lot of times responding to my parents, especially with an adult. Attitude, or you know I was being unnecessarily mean and just mean-spirited but I was taking a lot of the frustration that I had with being called fat and gay and this and that at school and rumors being spread about me and like ridiculous rumors on top of that it was insane having to deal with all of that and then come home and I'm I have expectations and things that I need to do at home and I'm also stressed because, you know, this person has said this about me or that person has said some mean shit during the day and I'm not having to deal with like how how do I deal with this in this moment because for me I I never knew how to respond to people when they would say some mean shit about me. And I think the reason being is cuz I wasn't in a place to really defend myself. So a lot of times I just took it. A lot of times I just took it and then projected it onto my parents, especially when I was a teenager, I was a menace. Like I was a menace to society. And a lot of times I felt like I didn't know who I wanted to be or who I was. And that confusion kind of added to the anger. Cause I spent a lot of time. I, when I tell y'all, I spent a lot of time being angry, especially in my in teenage life. It I spent a lot of time just being angry at the world. And I feel like that's, you know, a regular teenage thing. But like, for me, it was I'm angry that I don't really have anyone to turn to that will understand how I'm feeling in this moment or even have, you know, real friends. Because I remember being a senior in high school and I had people that I had known I sat at a lunch table with these people, and I remember this girl that I really didn't like her like that. But we just gonna we gonna skate past that. She said that ninety nine percent of us at this table actually want to be friends. It's the one percent, and she pointed to me when she said that that nobody wants to be friends with. And at that moment, it was like I don't know how to respond to this. All I know is just to get up and leave. These are people that I had grown up with. Like I had seen these people since. You know, elementary school, middle school. So to experience stuff like that, and to constantly have experiences similar to that, I felt like I didn't belong anywhere. It was something I, now looking at as an adult, I kind of just, I realized that I was just looking for a space to exist mm-hmm. without feeling like I was uh, the the odd man out.
0: Without conditions. How dare you want some unconditional love? You know man. what?
1: <laughs> and you know what? For a long time, because of those experiences, I did not believe in unconditional love
0: mm-hmm.
1: at all. I did not. I could see I saw that. unconditional love. Why? I mean,
0: people. all of the people put conditions on you. So why would you?
1: Well, yeah, because it was like either, you know, either you do this or you're not my friend.
0: So, how did how did that shape forming relationships and friendships later in life? And trust people. I still don't. The one thing that people have always told
1: me is that I don't know you. Mm. As long as we, you know, talked or et cetera, I don't know you. I don't know who you are as a person. So are you, do you guard yourself? Yeah. Yes. I guard myself a lot to protect me. That is the one thing that I have struggled with. And that is the one thing that I probably have always felt like was the worst thing about me. I guard myself. It's like Fort Knox in here. Like, in well, What does brain, it feel like to, heart, to deconstruct that wall? It's rough. Lots and lots of therapy has kind of helped me to open up a little bit, but it's still like Fort Knox. Like With people in general, with new people especially, it is difficult for me to really sit down and have a conversation about who I am because a lot of times I go back to those moments where I thought I had people in my life that I could go to and talk to in reality that was not that was not the case so I have to see how you move see who you are before I can trust you with anything that I have on the inside because if I sit here and try to like expose myself to you in any kind of way not in a nasty way but in more of a internal or raw and emotional just being vulnerable thing. yeah just be vulnerable i can't do it because of those experiences that i had.
0: so why the fuck you sign up for this podcast on no,
1: child because i'm trying to get <laughs> on a journey where i can do that now you know where you know the one person that has kind of helped with that not only my you know my therapist or whatever but the person i'm with now in that relationship it has forced me to to open myself up in a way that i i didn't
0: man think. and listen and he has challenged you i can say that just in oh, yeah. knowing you i mean and i think that that's possibly part of the problems that you guys have had is that challenge and that wall that you have i mean and, there's a lot there but
1: and we've and we've talked about that stubborn fuck over. Yeah, (laughs) and you are right because i am very stubborn but oh i know we have talked about that but i can also (laughs) say that like on a on another level my brother has been a significant has played a significant role in my life as kind of a safe space as well and the reason being my brother was the first one to know that i was like that i was gay i remember my brother was like I was sitting on his floor with, with the door open because we used to have conversations where my parents would leave. I would tell him everything that I that, that he needed to know. My brother literally was like, so I went through your phone. At the time I had a crush on somebody. So I ain't told nobody who this crush is. Somebody, some people know, but they they ain't gonna expose it. So who uh, was it? <laughs> I'm not telling because there's a story <laughs> that goes along with that, and I ain't saying <laughs> shit about that. But um, so he he saw something in my phone, and he was like, "Are you? You know, you, you know? I know. I I know. I know." And I'm like, "Oh, thank God, somebody knows <laughs> something." So right. at that moment, I it, it was like even I trusted my brother. I I trusted him even more after that because I felt like. I can come to you with this. I can't go to my parents with this. I can come to my brother and we can talk about it. And for years, my brother was really the only one that provided that kind of safe space for me to really talk about not only my sexuality, but just everything that was going on in my head and in my heart. So as an adult, that kind of just, that has remained definitely. But I think it made it harder for me to connect to other people on a deeper on a deeper level because I was so used to having that one person, and also just having other people tell me things about myself, and for them to for me to take that on and believe it was tough breaking out of. So in my adulthood, that showed itself by me not trusting people by me not developing friendships with people by me you know not really talking to people and expressing how i felt about something it, it it showed itself in my relationships especially because they expected me to be open about every single aspect of myself and who i was and who i am at that moment cuz who i who i am now is not who i was 5 years ago i couldn't do it you know what i mean i expected it of them But because I had gone through so much and have dealt with people who have constantly gotten in and have done nothing but hurt me, you know, I've shut everybody off. I think that's the worst part about
0: it. Mm -hmm. Well, I'm glad that you have come here with the mindset and attitude and intention to open up.
1: I think that's a part of healing, though. And and I want to pose the question to you guys. What does healing look like? For you, after going through everything that you've gone through, I've heard all of your stories and have listened to how it affected you as an adult. What does healing
0: look like? So it's a hot fucking mess. No, no, (laughs) seriously. Healing is the messiest shit that you will ever go through because it's not linear you will go through, you will have your good days. You will be so thankful for your growth and something will trigger you and it will fucking blow you away. And you will think, I thought I was past this, but that's healing for you. What it is, is it's a daily choice of saying, you know what, this is what the fuck I've been through. This is what I've given. And what I do is I forgive and we'll get into forgiveness at the end of this series, but forgiveness. It's something that you have to find. Not, I forgive you for doing this for me, but I forgive you for being human, for making a mistake. You have to accept it. I think that's the hardest part, accepting it. And then you have to make a daily choice to create your peace, whether that's loving the people that hurt you from a distance, whether that's not talking to those people for the protection of your peace. Uh, establishing your own family, building your own circle, cutting off the people that need to be cut off, standing on your truths every day, going to therapy, talking to someone about it, being medicated if you need. There's no shame in any of it. There's so much to healing. But at the end of the day, healing is this is who I am, this is where I'm at. But what I refuse to do is perpetuate this trauma. And I'm choosing to grow. And sometimes healing looks like pitching a fucking tantrum. Sometimes healing looks like having an emotional mental health day where you do nothing but throw a pity party and eat the things you shouldn't eat and do the things that bring you pleasure and just focus on yourself. Healing looks so different and it's so diverse. But one thing that's consistent with healing is peace. So whatever it is that brings you peace, that's what you do. Whether it's speaking your truth, whether it's building your family, whether it's finding your passion again, whether it's going to counseling for the first time, but it's going to start with truth. It's going to start with telling your truth. It's going to start with standing on your truth. And it's going to start with accepting your truth. So, I mean, there, there's there's a lot to healing. It's not something that you just reach one day, like you just ascend to this level of healing. No, no. healing doesn't stop.
1: Healing is a continuous thing. Over the it course is. of all of our lives, it is. It's never gonna and like like you. Said, it's an
0: action. It's, it's an action. You have to put yeah. work in to get healing out.
1: But see, a lot of people don't realize that portion of it. A lot of people think, okay, well, I've forgiven everybody, I'm good. But then something triggers them, and they don't know why. They don't understand it. They don't get it. A right. lot of people don't want to dive deep into their own being because they're scared. I think getting over that fear of really diving into themselves is really the first step in that in that healing journey. You can accept the truth all day, but if I'm still afraid to even face it, how am I going to get there? You know what I mean? You, how know am where, I you, know, you know
0: where that comfort and that strength comes from, though? It comes from the circle you build. So really, it starts with the people you surround yourself with. Yes. And the environments that you choose to be in. Sometimes you have to to cut off the toxicity, and that's the hardest fucking part. Calling it out and cutting it well, off. You
2: gotta you gotta recognize it first. Some people see it, but they try to sell themselves that it's not that. Mm, they exactly. see that they see the toxicity. They know the signs. Kind of yeah. like someone that's uh, in a relationship with a narcissist. You know exactly what they're gonna say and do every single time. Mm-hmm. But I've coached some people that fall for the same tricks, and that's part of being uh traumatized. You're so traumatized that you just think this one time he or she is gonna change, and you know, it 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 just doesn't happen. I think healing is um it's like the stage it it's like getting uh, uh scars. On your body right like you can name every single scar on your body and what happened i guarantee you every it doesn't matter how big or small you know where you were when it happened what happened and sometimes the biggest scars don't even hurt you that bad and the little scar is called the most pain right and so i think healing is understanding that when you understand what i'm about to say it's multi-layered. When you have an understanding that no matter how old you get, you will still get scars. That's when I think you begin the process of healing. This this is not about living a life avoiding scars. You're going to fall. You're going to trip up. You're going to cut yourself somehow. Something's going to happen. So this is not about avoiding something. This is about understanding how to be be a, a good sailor right if you're a good sailor you're not looking for calm seas all the time you can identify when there's rough tide when there's low tide high tide when there's rough seas and calm seas you can identify the weather patterns you're more of a person that is looking for things and patterns as opposed to someone that is hoping for the best you know scenario all the time i think when you begin to heal is when you begin to understand that we live in a life where shit is going to happen And the only thing you have control of is how you react to that. There's a consistent thing that we've had with this whole entire conversation with all of us, drugs, alcohol, or anything that's going to cause an adverse effect on someone's mental state is always going to lead to something traumatic, whether it be in their life, the drug abuser or user or whoever, or whoever they're surrounded by, there's going to be some form of trauma. So I think when we talk about healing, it's understanding, number one. I think the number one thing that people have to give when they're healing, you got to give yourself grace, man. You got to give yourself grace. You got to just say, yo, it's, it's, I am going through this situation and it's okay for me to go through this situation. It's okay for me to feel like this. This is okay. Like, and no matter what anybody else says, nobody lives a perfect life. Nobody's feeling good, perfect all the time. This is right. okay. You got to give yourself grace, right? You'll never move forward if you never allow yourself the chance to give yourself grace to move forward. And then again, I think this is like the stages of grief, right? I got them in front of me, right? You're going to go through denial. You're going to go through anger. You're going to try to bargain some things. You're going to get depressed and then you're going to get to a point of acceptance. I think you have to hit those stages in your coping stage. And there is no perfect Coping stage. No, everybody has their own stage. Some stages last longer than others. You might be angry for a while. You might be depressed for a while. There is no magic word, pill, thing to make you get through that. I think there's a few things. Number one, you got to have a community of people that understand your problem and have gone through the problem. You got to be able to share it with people that have gone through the same thing. Number
0: one, community is
2: everything. Yes, that's probably number one. The coping starts with uh, your uh, uh, your peers. You have to have a community, number one. Number two, I think you have to have the right environment. You can't just have a community in a toxic environment. So right. you have to have a good community of people. You have to have a good environment. And you have to have a structure that is in place that that cheers you on to want to be better, understanding that you will have an episode that'll, that'll make you take a few steps back.
0: You know, we, we've talked a lot. We've talked up a lot about childhood trauma tonight and just know that this is just, this is where our, our experiences with trauma, disappointment, and hurt begin. There's so much more. That's why over the next couple of weeks, we're going to talk about identity, self-discovery, you know, once we get through, we'll talk about and chop up those experiences, and then moving into relationships and moving into adulthood and and forming those relationships and really digging into how our childhood experiences affected those adult relationships. But Fred, I really appreciate you sharing that. You are you are spot on with that, yeah, especially when you talk about community. It's so important, and I think that's one of the our purpose is here. If you don't have a friend, if you don't have that community. Look us up on Facebook. Reach us, reach out to us, DM us. Safe spaces and faces at gmail.com. I know that we all go through our own experiences in life. Trauma looks like different things to everyone, and everyone's worst moment looks different. I don't want anyone to hear this or look at it as You didn't have it as bad as I did, or I had it worse than you, but just remember that everyone's worst moment is their worst moment, regardless of what that looks like compared to someone else. We're not here to compare. We're here to heal and to grow. So I think it's really important that no matter your age, your situation, that you take a moment to really look at the events that that made up the formative years and memories and experiences of your life and really find the pain and the hurt that you've yet to sort through. Claim that shit and stop carrying it around.
2: If you are listening to this and you like, man, I'm good. I got a good life and things are okay. You know, all it takes is for something to trigger that. I'm going to tell you right now, being a dad of four kids, that's all it takes. So there is no you good and it's behind you. Like like Uncle said, like Aaron said, if you don't deal with it, there will be a moment because life has a funny way of putting you in a position where you will have to deal with it. Yes, use this episode to really think upon that stuff. Javon, you brought up a good point that people are scared. They're scared to really dig into that stuff because a lot of it, they know they would have to confront it. And a lot of it, they know they would have to figure out how to take care of. And I'm gonna tell y'all something really quick here before we end this. Um, being a dad, the 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 biggest fuckery is not dealing with your own trauma, because like you said, auntie, then you then you just pass it down. You unknowingly pass these things down because you are just a you're a product of your your parents. You got their DNA. So you have kids and and you might be raising your kids. And I know we're in a crazy time, but kids are kids. And, you know, when you're raising a young human, there's going to be a lot of things. I found myself doing and saying some things, right? To double back and honestly and say, oh, probably shouldn't have said that. Let me go back to him and apologize again. If some of you are listening to this and you're like, ah, that doesn't apply to me, that doesn't apply to me, that means it probably applies to you. That means you probably have not had a moment because we Sex. all have it called life.
0: Hey, that's a word, Fred. And with that, I think that's a good place to close this conversation. You are absolutely right. Um, uh, We got a, a a comment tonight. And this is from a lady. Her name is Miss Reagan, Wanda Reagan. She's from little old Bradford County back in Florida, right? Uh, I worked awesome. with her. At, I worked with her at Southside Elementary School, and she is a very sweet lady. When I was in the hospital dealing with um, kidney failure and dealing with um, septic, she was one of the only people that made sure she was by my side. This woman is a godsend. She said. I'm commenting again because today I got to thoroughly listen to your podcast and give it my undivided attention, and it was awesome. I especially enjoyed Mr. Kinzer's story. I hope some of our youth get to hear him speak and take heed to his message and example. He is a great speaker, and you can really feel he has a lot more to share. I love Fred's story about being a dad. He really gets the importance of a functional family and the effort it requires to be a parent. He's truly going to have a big part in the change. And Javon, OMG, his voice. People will want to listen just to hear him talk. Your podcast covered it all. It was serious, funny, encouraging, intriguing, and overall inspirational. I love your closing. It was warm and inviting, and you mentioned so many topics that have never been touched on in a public setting. You are truly pioneers and have a lot of courage. You are right. Change can only happen when there is transparency and open conversation. You covered a lot of ground in this one podcast. I'm just an old lady, but I love to learn and have always been concerned about how people treat each other, and I love to hear stories from the heart. Because everyone is speaking their authentic truths, I feel like I now know three people who just today I knew nothing about. I look forward to your next podcast that is scheduled on my birthday, September 22nd. So, with that being said, since this is coming out on September 22nd, Miss Reagan, happy birthday. Happy and thank birthday. you for your comment. Happy birthday to you. <laughs> Hey, Ooh,
2: Rick, keep going. Go ahead, Luther. <laughs> ah. Go <laughs> no. ahead.
1: Thank you for opening your space to safe spaces
3: and faces.
2: We hope that you too get involved in the conversation. Remember to like, follow, and share our social media.
3: Tell us your story, share your experience, and together we can make a difference.
0: Until next time, be the change you want to see.